Ah, the Olympics. The pageantry, the competition, the spectacle of it all. Watching the games in person is on a lot of people's bucket lists. But speaking of the bucket, this year, for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, despite all the usual rah-rah and push for tourists to come on over to Japan to watch the games, things are not as rosy and upbeat as the Japanese government and the International Olympic Committee would want you to believe, especially once you hear from a genuine international expert who tells you, The Olympics are taking place in a country which is undergoing a nuclear catastrophe, which still has not returned to normality, and which will not be able to do so for many, many decades to come. The situation in Fukushima is not under control. The government and the IOC are trying to divert attention away from the reality faced by the population in the affected regions. And the Olympic Games should not be used politically to greenwash or to whitewash the effects of the nuclear catastrophe. And anyone visiting, traveling to the Olympic Games, watching the Olympic Games at home should know that there's an ongoing nuclear catastrophe and that the people in the region are living with this catastrophe every day of their life. Well, when you hear the truth about the nuclear risks and image manipulations connected with the 2020 Radioactive Olympics, and see how those in power in Japan, as well as the IOC, seem unconcerned about the long-term effect of what they are doing. You begin to understand how the international athletes, the people of Japan, the tourists planning to attend the Games, heck, how the rest of the world is being Olympic-gamed into keeping our posteriors smack in that seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, a very special interview with Dr. Alex Rosen, He is chair of International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War Germany, and he talks about the 2020 Tokyo Radioactive Olympics. We learn about IPPNW's part in the international campaign to bring awareness to how the games are being used as a propaganda tool meant to cover up the ongoing nuclear impact of the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster and normalized perception of the area in northeast Japan to force Japanese citizens to move back into radioactive zones whether they want to or not, and trust me, the vast majority do not. We'll also have nuclear news from around the world, numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, and more honest nuclear information than we'll ever be able to get from those Iran-bound soldiers who have been deprived of their cell phones and laptops before boarding their planes. 
All of this coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, January 7, 2020, and here is the week's nuclear news from a different perspective, starting out with the big breaking story. In the wake of the U.S. assassination of top Iranian anti-terror commander, Lieutenant General Qasem Soleimani, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps has targeted the U.S. airbase of Ayn al-Assad in Anbar province in western Iraq after launching a wave of attacks, missile attacks, to retaliate against the U.S. assassination. Tens of surface-to-surface missiles were fired at the strategic airbase, and the attack was later confirmed by U.S. officials. As of this recording, we do not know if there have been any casualties. In preparation for possible retaliation, the Pentagon has deployed six nuclear-capable B-52 bombers to an airbase within striking distance of Iran. The six bombers will be based at Diego Garcia, a British-owned island base located in the Indian Ocean that has military significance because it is located beyond the range of known Iranian missiles. The B-52 is a long-range strategic bomber capable of carrying nuclear payloads of air-launched cruise missiles. And in a long-planned and unfortunately related story, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists will host a live international news conference at 10 o'clock Eastern Time on Thursday, January 23, 2020, to announce the 2020 time of the Doomsday Clock. This is the device to show us how close we are in the world to nuclear annihilation. Among those who will be speaking that day, former governor of the state of California, Jerry Brown, Mary Robinson, the former president of Ireland, and Ban Ki-moon, former UN Secretary General. Nuclear Hot Seat will bring you the story as it happens. A bit of good news. In New Mexico, it has been announced that the Mount Taylor mine, uranium mine, is going to be closing. This is considered a stunning victory for Native communities. Susan Gordon, coordinator for the Multicultural Alliance for a Safe Environment, or MAZE, said, The frontline communities are thrilled about this development because they have been living with the mine for so long. It is no longer possible to pretend that uranium mining will return to New Mexico. And I visited the Mount Taylor mine, and there will be a picture of me at their gate up on the website nuclearhotseat.com under this episode, number 446. In Pennsylvania, concerns have been raised over Exelon's plan to scale back the Three Mile Island nuclear reactor's emergency planning. While the facility has been closed, there is still on site a melted core and 1,500 metric tons of spent fuel, all of which contain uranium. Eric Epstein, chairman of Three Mile Island Alert, said they will leave the community in harm's way in the event of another nuclear challenge. He continued, you can't say we are delaying the cleanup for safety reasons until 2078, yet at the same time we're dismantling emergency planning because everything is safe. You can't have it both ways. And a report we will link to on how a nuclear attack on U.S. soil would most likely target one of six cities, New York, Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, or Washington, D.C. None of those cities have designated fallout shelters to protect people from the radiation, and public health experts say that all of those cities would struggle to provide emergency services to the wounded. 
over to Japan with more information about radioactive hotspots found near the starting point of Japan's 2020 Olympic torch relay. High level of radiation was detected near Japan's J Village, a sports facility and starting point for the relay, according to Greenpeace. Radiation levels as high as 71 microsieverts per hour were found on the surface near J Village, a level of radiation that is hundreds of times greater than what is stipulated in Japan's decontamination guidelines. People hanging out near these hotspots would exceed their permissible annual dose of radiation in around two to three days, according to Reuters. Greenpeace Japan has demanded that the Japanese government conduct regular radiation monitoring and decontamination of the region. The Olympic torch relay is scheduled to begin on March 26th at that exact location. More Fukushima manipulation for the Olympics? The Japanese government plans to lift evacuation orders for areas surrounding train stations in the town of Tomioka, Fukushima Prefecture. Fukushima Prefecture has also decided to switch from blanket to random safety testing of cattle. Under the plan, at least one animal will be checked per year, wow, per year, for each farm, with the exception of difficult-to-return zones where radiation levels remain high. But according to a survey compiled by the prefecture this past October, taken by over 2,500 consumers, 45.9% of the respondents insisted that blanket testing be continued. If I were in Japan for the Olympics, which I will not be, I certainly would not be eating hamburger. And as if that's not enough... Nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, none that's out of week. In a true perversion of renewable energy concepts, Japan is going to use radioactive Fukushima wood to generate power. The country admits that this will help Japan's goal to repopulate the region that has been struggling to restore its population after the earthquake and tsunami. Interesting that the writer did not at that point mention the radioactive contamination and its ongoing nature from Fukushima Daiichi and the triple meltdown in March of 2011. And while the wood will be reduced in volume by 99.5%, that ash is still going to have radioactivity in it. Shrinking the volume does nothing to the radioactivity except concentrate it. But Japan is touting this as a great way to make a lot of clean energy. And that's why anybody who believes in this lame brain scheme, you are this week's nuclear hot seed, none that's out of week. In Australia, we are learning about the possible confluence of nuclear waste dumping and the country's out of control brush fires. Among the greatest concerns, the Lucas Heights nuclear reactor and its wastes, which are in New South Wales. Meanwhile, we have learned that Dr. Helen Colnicott has evacuated from her home in New South Wales, and she is currently safe in Sydney. As the decades-long leader and colloquially acknowledged as the mother of the anti-nuclear movement, we wish her all the best in Switzerland. That country's Mühlberg nuclear power station went off-grid on Friday, December 20th, after 47 years. The shutdown marks the start of that country's exit from atomic power. In Germany on New Year's Eve, that country pulled the plug on the Philipsburg 2 power station. 
That leaves only half a dozen nuclear reactors online in Germany with plans to close the final six over the next two years. Four nuclear reactors are being built in the United Arab Emirates and they could spark a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. Dr. Paul Dorfman, chairman of the Nuclear Consulting Group, warned the UAE's Baraka nuclear power plant lacks key safety features, poses a threat to the environment, is a potential target for terrorists, and could be part of plans to develop nuclear weapons. In Serbia, reports that depleted uranium used in bombing has caused a cancer epidemic, with leukemia and lymphoma rates already higher, and the knowledge that depleted uranium has the strongest effect after 20 years. And in the UK, German global discount supermarket Little, but because of its proximity to the atomic weapons establishment, which builds and maintains the UK's nuclear warheads, they refuse to do so unless they are provided with facilities to shelter the public for up to 24 hours. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment, but first... The pro-nuclear propaganda just keeps coming, thick and fast, setting up talking points that the casual reader or legislator or journalist will catch in headlines and absorb as gospel truth when it's really just the opposite. What is there to counter the lies of the nuclear industry, all the money and influence and smug, smarmy talking points? And if I sound pretty heated up about it this week, That's because while David may win over Goliath in the Bible, sometimes this battle feels impossible. And still, I, we, have persisted and continue to persist. That includes Nuclear Hot Seat. Now in its ninth year, the show has been one of the only places where you can get a one-hour hit of honest nuclear information every week. Interviews with genuine experts ignored by mainstream media. A roundup of international news, never enough time for all the stories that deserve it. Numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, bad puns, sometimes a touch of musical theater. Where else can you find all this in a weekly counterbalance to nuclear industry lies? Of course, this show has been operating for years on a budget that's less than what one nuclear lobbyist gets for one week of lunches with powerful legislators. And that budget is dependent upon you, the listeners, to keep us going. So if you are against nukes and want to help us get the word out, help us with a donation. We make it easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button to send a one-time donation or set up a monthly donation of any size. And to send us a monthly $5, just click on the big green Donate button at NuclearHotSeat.com. Please, Do what you can now and know that whatever you do to help, I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Here's this week's featured interview. After years of talking about 2020 because of the Olympics, the year has arrived and the ramped up Japanese propaganda is attempting to negate the ongoing dangers of Fukushima, the nuclear disaster there, and the ongoing radiation issues, as you heard in some of today's stories. To understand what's at stake and what is being done about it, we spoke with Dr. Alex Rosen. He is a German pediatrician who serves as the chair of the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War in Germany. He's been deeply involved in the international awareness campaign about what the 2020 Tokyo Radioactive Olympics are really all about. 
Dr. Rosen was last heard on Nuclear Hot Seat in one of our classic programs. He was presenting a critical analysis of the United Nations UNSCIR report on radioactivity after the Fukushima disaster began. And during that time, he decoded the UN agency's methodology and, in effect, demolished its credibility. Here, he gives us a view of the planned international pushback against the Olympics and the reasons why this action is so necessary. Note that all of this is coming from the medical and scientific perspective. Dr. Rosen and I spoke on Friday, November 29, 2019. So when there are references as to what is being done next year, he is talking about this year, 2020. Dr. Alex Rosen, so good to have you back with us here on Nuclear Hot Seat. It's wonderful to be back. First, explain to the listeners what the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War is and what it does. We are an organization of physicians from all over the world who are working towards a world free of the nuclear threat. Uh, We were founded by U.S. American and Soviet Russian um, cardiologists in the 1980s at the height of the Cold War. Uh, And the main aim was to make people and politicians especially aware of the ongoing threat by nuclear weapons. After the Chernobyl and now the Fukushima nuclear disasters, it became clear to a lot of us uh, within IPPNW, especially here in IPPNW Germany, that it is necessary to address both the threat of nuclear weapons and the threat coming from nuclear energy, as these are two sides of the same coin. Without nuclear energy, there would be no nuclear weapons, and without nuclear weapons, there would be no nuclear energy. What is your background and how did you become involved with IPPNW? I'm a pediatrician working here in Berlin. I'm head of a pediatric emergency department here at the university clinic. And I became involved in IPPNW as a medical student, in fact. Um, I was at the, in the international board of IPPNW for several years and have now been on the German board and have been the the chairman of the German affiliate for the past six years. In March of 2019, IPPNW launched a campaign to warn people who are considering a trip to Japan for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, which is referred to in this campaign as the Radioactive Olympics. Why was this step taken? First of all, let me clear up a misunderstanding. What we're doing is we're not warning people who want to wish to attend uh, the Olympic Games. What we are doing is we are trying to make people aware of the fact that these Olympic Games are in fact taking place not just in Tokyo, but in radioactively contaminated regions in Fukushima Prefecture, and that one of the aims that the Japanese government is pursuing with these Olympic Games is to draw attention away from the nuclear catastrophe, which is still ongoing and still taking place in northeastern Japan, and trying to portray a normality that is just not happening. People living in the northeast of Japan in the contaminated regions, which were affected by nuclear fallout from the multiple meltdowns of the 2011 catastrophe in Fukushima, they are still living with elevated radiation doses. They are still living under the threat of recontamination every time there's flooding, every time there's large storms, a tsunami. 
heavy rains or even pollen uh, flight, forest fires, and all of these events which are redistributing radioactive particles from the mountainsides, from the forests, back over towns and, and villages. And this is the, the reality that people are living with. And what Abe, the Japanese prime minister, is doing is he's saying the situation is under control. Don't worry, everything is fine. And this is just not the case, as our friends and colleagues from Fukushima and from Japan keep on telling us. So the main aim of our campaign, Tokyo 2020, the Radioactive Olympics, is not to warn people not to attend the Olympics, but to say, listen, the Olympics are taking place in a country which is undergoing a nuclear catastrophe, which still has not returned to normality, and which will not be able to do so for many, many decades to come. And if you look at the Olympics, if you go there as an athlete, if you go there as a visitor, just be aware of the reality that the people in these regions are living in and try not to support or try not to go along with the government propaganda that everything is normal and everything is under control in the affected regions, but make people aware of the fact of what's going on and how these people are living right now. What has the campaign consisted of so far? Well, we've contacted other anti-nuclear groups all across the world, in, in Japan, in Europe, in the US, uh, in Australia. We've contacted anti-Olympic groups, groups which are opposed for numerous reasons to the Olympic Games. And we've created a petition that calls for the IOC, the International Olympic Committee and the Japanese government, to rescind their plans to hold softball and baseball games in Fukushima City, in a city that was affected by the nuclear fallout, and also to change the route of the um, torch relay, which is planned to start in March of 2020, actually, in Fukushima, right 20 kilometers away from the crippled nuclear reactors, and which is planned to go through contaminated areas. So these are the two main calls of our petition. We've also addressed the uh, International Olympic Committee with our warnings and with our campaign materials. We've contacted national Olympic committees, for example, in Australia, but also in South Korea and Germany and other countries. And we've addressed the public, published information material that informs athletes and visitors planning to attend the Olympic Games about the situation in Fukushima and about the health situation. And finally, we have addressed the people uh, living in Fukushima, living in the affected regions, and um, have tried to convey to them that our campaign is meant as a solidarity effort, solidarity for their struggle and for their fight, for recognition, and against the, the harmful policies of the Japanese government, which is trying to relocate people who had to flee the, the radioactive contamination, relocate them into uh, regions actually that are still contaminated, which still have radiation levels of up to 20 millisievert per year. It's 20 times as much as permitted by international radiation guidelines. And basically show the people that we are on their side and we're trying to make people see their side of the story, um, see their everyday reality and not be blinded by the government propaganda and by all the Olympic flashy signs which are trying to, to convey to the international audience that normality has returned to Fukushima, which it has not.
You said that the group has been in contact with various Olympic committees, national ones, and I presume the international one as well, the IOC. What kind of response or recognition have you gotten from any of these committees? Well, uh, very different ones. The German uh, National Olympic Committee was very interested in our expertise on radiation safety, especially because they are receiving a lot of requests, a lot of questions from athletes, from visitors about potential dangers of athletes and visitors attending the Olympic Games. Um, So they're interested in, in our help in drafting information material to the athletes and to visitors. But we've also received some rather awkward and and strange responses, such as statements also by the German Olympic Committee that uh, they have been assured by Japanese authorities and the IOC that no natural catastrophes will take place during the Olympic Games uh, in 2020. So these are just ludicrous claims as everyone, anyone who who knows Japan and who knows uh, regions that are earthquake prone and tsunami prone knows. I mean, no one can can really assure the visitors that nothing will happen. And I th- don't think this is the point. It's, it's just a matter of trying to be honest about the situation. And we are seeing that the Olympic Committee has kind of followed the lead of the Japanese government, which has constantly been repeating the message that everything is under control, everything is safe, nothing will happen, don't worry, nothing can happen, there's no increased radiation, there's no danger of recontamination, and This is a situation that we see very differently. South Korea is one country that has announced that it will be taking protective measures for its athletes. Specifically, it's going to be bringing in all of the food. It's going to be preparing the food separately for the athletes. And I believe they're going to have their own radiation monitors. What is your feeling about the steps that they are taking and whether they should be enacted or could be enacted for other countries as well? Well, there is a a long history (laughs) of conflict between the governments of South Korea and Japan. So I think this policy of the Korean government, of the Democratic Party, which some members of which are actually calling for a boycott of the Olympic Games, also has to do with the, the political situation between these two countries. But what the Korean delegation is concerned about is food safety. This is something that the Japanese government has repeatedly stated they are on top of and nothing has to be worried about. There's a large amount of checks and um, no radioactively contaminated food stuff will be served to athletes. The problem is that um, in the course of the last eight or nine years, the Japanese government has not exactly been able to gain a lot of trust with their statements on on nuclear safety, mainly because they've repeatedly been caught red-handed with uh, lies and, and false statements about radiation safety. So while I personally believe that the Japanese government and the Japanese authorities are doing a lot Um, to keep food and to keep groceries uh, radiation-free and and checking, I can understand the South Koreans and I can understand anyone who's cautious of the the very, very high level of conviction amongst the Japanese authorities that their checks are sufficient and that uh, the food will be safe. I don't think there will ever be 100% safety. And while the Japanese food regulations are very strict, 
stricter, in fact, than, for example, those of the European Union, I think you have to be honest to people and say that there is never 100% guarantee, and especially if the government has an interest in promoting locally grown Fukushima food and has repeatedly run campaigns to promote Fukushima-grown rice, Fukushima-grown peaches, then I can understand people that are cautious and people who want to to be on the safe side. So we are actually advising athletes and visitors to be aware of the fact that checks can never be 100% safe. And if they want to be on the safe side, they should, for example, not consume foods which are grown in, in Fukushima Prefecture. What you're saying here and the wording on the petition is very clear about what the dangers are and what people need to be concerned about. However, in late November, there was a statement released, and it was also accredited to IPPNW Germany regarding the safety to visitors at the 2020 Olympics. I received it as a separate document that was disseminated through Beyond Nuclear International, and I think it was sent out by other groups as well. There are some questions about the tone that this new document takes, and I'm wondering first, is it coming from the exact same group within IPPNW Germany? Is it perhaps from another group or another committee or another faction within? Is it the same? Our document is very scientific and very neutral. And it's basically stating that while the dangers of radioactive contamination or radioactive exposure for visitors and athletes visiting the Olympic Games in Tokyo is relatively low, there is a danger for the people constantly living in these regions. So it's important for us to put the focus really on the people who are living their lives in Fukushima and in the affected regions around Fukushima, and not so much on the athletes and the visitors who are just coming in for one or two weeks, and which obviously will not be exposed to the same levels of radioactivity that the people living there will be exposed to. So to all the athletes and visitors, if they ask us how high the level of radiation will be that they're exposed to, we have to be honest and we have to tell them that the main level of radioactivity that they will be exposed to is most likely during the flight there. If they exercise some basic rules of safety and do not eat homegrown food that is not checked and not sold in in grocery stores, if they don't go into regions that are regarded off-limit, if they don't uh, tread through forests or mountainsides in Fukushima, if they stay in the decontaminated areas in the large cities, then the level of radioactivity they will be exposed to will be relatively low. So this is also part of of our campaign to really uh, try to portray the dangers as they are And the dangers we have to repeat ourselves time and time again are mainly to the people, to the young families, to the children, to the pregnant women living in the contaminated regions, which are not spending just one or two weeks there, which are spending their entire lives there. And uh, this is the main group of people that we are concerned about. And our message to the athletes and to the visitors is while you are worrying about your safety and worrying about your health when you visit there, do take into consideration that there's people living there their entire lives which have to deal with these dangers for many, many years and decades to come and try not to fall for the government's uh, messaging and spin that uh, the situation is under control and safe. I've been contacted by several listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat who are very involved in the issues and I found myself in reading this most recent statement that 
there were portions of it that if they were excerpted and quoted in other venues, the fear is that it would sound like IPPNW was giving a pass to the radiation dangers and the emphasis on the problems to the people living there could be skipped over and people like travel agents or those who are promoting Japan or promoting the Olympics could just use it as a wash saying, see, IPPNW says it's no worse than if you had an x-ray. That was one of the equivalencies that was there. Or if you had the flight coming over, what would you say in response to that? Well, like I said before, it's it's one thing to go and visit Tokyo, for example. <clears throat> it's a completely different thing to go into a forest in Fukushima. So it really depends on where people go, how much time they spend there, what they eat, how they act. And this is very difficult to put into a general advisory uh, document. So what we try to do is we try to inform people about the different topics there are, which is where they go, what they eat, how they get there, and what their behavior is while they are there, the dangers of disasters, both weather catastrophes in terms of storms or tsunamis, flooding, and these kind of things, forest fires, but also the danger of natural catastrophes like earthquakes. Um, there are still very large dangers, not just in the, in the crippled Fukushima reactors, which are still not under control, but also the other Japanese uh, nuclear reactors, most of which are currently not functioning, but all of which still contain nuclear fuel rods. So the danger of another earthquake or tsunami taking place in Japan and uh, leading to another, a new nuclear catastrophe are, of course, always there. So these are issues that people should be concerned about. And I'm honestly not so much worried about people taking our statements out of context, because this is always the case. If you have a long advisory or informative brochure, anyone can take your statements out of context. But the main message, I think, that we're trying to bring across is very clear. The situation in Fukushima is not under control. The government and the IOC are trying to divert attention away from the reality faced by the population in the affected regions. And the Olympic Games should not be used politically to greenwash or to whitewash the uh, effects of the nuclear catastrophe. And anyone visiting, traveling to the Olympic Games, watching the Olympic Games at home should know that there's an ongoing nuclear catastrophe and that the people in the region are living with this catastrophe every day of their life. One of the sports that is new to the Olympics this year is surfing. And that is scheduled to take place off the coast of Chiba, which is only about 150 miles as the crow flies from Fukushima Daiichi. Now, these are waters where there are at least six countries in the world that refuse to import any fish or seafood caught in Chiba because of radiation dangers. What might be the increase in radiation danger to the athletes who are surfing in these waters? The problem with the uh, measurements that are being taken place is that the government obviously has an interest to portray the situation as being very safe. And there are very, very few independent researchers or independent uh, measuring groups which are actually taking measurements and publishing them in peer-reviewed journals or in, in a way that we can scientifically say these are measurement counts that we actually can believe. So to be honest, we can't make 
a guess even at how high the levels of radiation in, in this bay are. But what we can say is that there are numerous places in the world where radioactive contamination is probably higher than the bay in Chiba. I'm talking, for example, about the English Channel, where Laag and also Sellafield are draining nuclear waste, and also the waters off the northern coast of Russia and the eastern coast of Russia, where a large number of nuclear reactors were scuttled. So while, yes, the radioactive contamination off the coast of Fukushima especially is still ongoing. There's every day more and more radioactive waste is flowing actively into, into the Pacific Ocean. This radioactivity, you have to imagine it like really being particle-based. So these particles that are flowing into the ocean are sedimenting, they are going on the ground. Some of them are being spread out with the flow of the current, mostly to the east and to the northeast. And not so much, in fact, to the south, because most of the current is coming from the south. So the southern coast or the southern the parts that are south of uh, Fukushima will probably not get such high levels of radiation from the water sources. What they did receive was airborne radiation back in 2011 when the nuclear catastrophe initially took place. And there was a large amount of radioactive particles flowing through the air and coming down as nuclear fallout. And during this time, Tokyo and Yokohama Bay and Chiba Prefecture actually received uh, substantial amounts of radioactive contamination and some hotspots in these regions still remain. So the issue is rather complicated. It's difficult uh, on a case-by-case basis to actually make predictions. I would say the region of Chiba is not the most acutely radioactively contaminated part of northeastern Japan, but it is a region where people have been affected by radioactive contamination. And we are not so worried about nuclear uh, or radioactive contamination in the bay to the surfers as we are about the situation, for example, in the torch relay will take place in passing through radioactively contaminated regions, in fact, very, very close to the death zone of the nuclear power plant in Fukushima. I understand that some of the torch relay is actually going to take place through areas that have a higher radiation level than people are allowed to get close to in the exclusion zone at Chernobyl. That is very true. And this is what I was talking about that we're worried about. The Japanese government is so keen on making these games, the reconstruction games, that they've actually started the torch relay or will start the torch relay at J Village, which is a sporting facility very close to the nuclear power plant, the facility that was actually used as a base for the rescue operations and the um, cleanup operations, and which is now being used again as a sporting facility. And that means that the athletes that are carrying the torch will actually have to run through radioactively contaminated areas. And again, even if a road is decontaminated, even if a road is cleared of all the radioactive particles that once covered it, all that has to happen is a storm, some flight of pollen, uh, heavy rains or flooding, and immediately this road or this region can be recontaminated by radioactive particles, which are still stored in very high amounts in the mountainside, in the inaccessible forests in Fukushima Prefecture. So to say that these regions will be decontaminated by the time of the torch relay in March is 
wishful thinking and something that neither the Japanese authorities nor the Olympic Committee can actually guarantee. There was recently published the Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan, which won an award from a professional journalism association in Japan and has now been translated in a brief version into English. And what happened was between 2014 and 2017, citizens all over Japan took samples of soil and dust from their areas and had them analyzed and put together in this book to show a map of where the radiation was concentrated. And it was quite alarming to show much higher levels than the government was acknowledging. Is IPPNW familiar with this report? Have you used it as the basis for any of your work? Do you find it credible? Yes, of course. I mean, we've been covering their efforts for many years, and we highly support this campaign. It's a very, very thorough scientific approach that this group is is following. Um, If you read the report, you will see how much effort and how much uh, know-how has gone into collecting these soil samples. It's the most thorough attempt to really get a good sense of where radioactive contamination actually took place and where it can be found. Much more thorough, I have to say, than the measurements by the Japanese Ministry for Science and and Technology, mainly because the Japanese authorities use air dosage and then calculate the ground dosage through some, some calculations, some algorithms, whereas the independent groups that that published this report actually went to in the field and actually took soil samples, which they then analyzed. So this is not just a theoretical level of radiation derived from airborne levels, but it's actually what is contained in the soil. And if uh, Chernobyl and other nuclear disasters has has taught us anything, it's that it's very difficult in, in these cases of radioactive contamination where radioactivity actually came from fallout, from the clouds, from um, uh, rain dropping down nuclear particles. And you really have to go and look at the ground in order to make an assessment about the level of radioactivity, because you can't be sure just by calculating it. It can be a place where a lot of precipitation took place, which has a high level of radiation, and just two or three kilometers down the road, the level of radiation can be much lower, just because there was less rain during those critical days. So we are actually very, very supportive of of this campaign. We are using these numbers, which we feel are very useful for informing people about radioactive contamination. In fact, these maps that they've been able to produce show a much larger area of radioactive contamination than what the Japanese government wants us to show. If you look at the Japanese government's maps. They usually just show Fukushima prefecture with some colors added to it, but they never actually show the radioactive contamination in the north and in the south of Fukushima prefecture. And if you look at the maps of the independent researchers, you see that radioactive contamination all the way down to Tokyo actually was substantial and that these levels of radiation will still be there 10 and 20 years from now. So this is very, very useful material, material that we will be seeing more of uh, now in the run-up to the Olympic Games, I'm sure. And will IPPNW be using these numbers or perhaps repurposing the maps in any of your materials? 
Definitely. I mean, we've already been using this data for many, many months. And the problem is a little bit that people, it, it was a one-time collection. So it's not ongoing radiation measurements. It's not that you can say the radiation levels are this high in, in 2018, 2019, 2020. What they did was they collected soil samples once and then they calculate the decay rates and assess or attempt to, to calculate how uh, much the radiation levels will fall in 10 or 20 or 30 years. But for a one-time measurement, these maps are very useful, mainly to show the amount of radiation and the distribution of radiation. What they cannot do is offer day-to-day -day radiation level monitoring, which is, for example, useful in the case of Fukushima Prefecture, where we just recently had a typhoon, which led to a lot of the sedimented nuclear particles actually being redistributed over land through large waves and, uh, and, and flooding, radioactive contamination through the destruction of radioactive soil depositions. I mean, you have these huge big bags of radioactively contaminated soil all over the countryside in Fukushima. And every time there's a storm, every time there's flooding and the rivers go above their shores, some of these, um, these bags and some of this radioactively contaminated soil is going into the rivers and is recontaminating the tributaries. And all of this can't be adequately monitored because of a lack of monitoring posts, independent uh, measurements. But as a one-time map of radioactive contamination through airborne fallout, it's definitely very useful. Given that the Olympics are next year, starting in July, what is the future work of IPPNW as regards the 2020 Olympics? Well, our campaign, Tokyo 2020, the Radioactive Olympics, is not just an IPPNW campaign. In fact, IPPNW Germany and IPPNW Switzerland are just two of the participating parties in this campaign. There's a lot of other organizations from the US, from Canada, the UK, Japan, South Korea, Switzerland, which are participating in this campaign. And what we are trying to do, first of all, is to protest in front of the International Olympic Committee in February with a large number of anti-nuclear and anti-Olympic demonstrators. We will be visiting Fukushima on a speaker's tour in March, and we will go there for the anniversary of the nuclear catastrophe in 2011. We're also holding some press conferences and meetings in Tokyo in March, we will uh, cover the um, torch relay, which is taking place in Fukushima Prefecture, also in the end of March 2011. And in the run-up to the Olympic Games, we are expecting a lot of media attention because, as you know, most of the world is looking towards the country, looking at the country that is hosting the Olympic Games. There will be a lot of home stories, side stories, background stories about Japan and about the situation in Fukushima. And Mainly, we have to say the Japanese government brought this upon themselves. They made these games into the reconstruction games. They put the focus on Fukushima. They will start the Olympic Games with the first competitions of the games actually taking place in Fukushima City. The very first events will take place there. The torch relay will take place there. And obviously, there will be media attention. And we will use this media attention to draw people's awareness 
to the fate and to the reality of the people living there. And we will do this in the run-up to the Olympic Games, during the Olympic Games, and also in the run-up to the Paralympic Games, which are taking place right after that. Our aim is to educate people about the extent of the nuclear catastrophe, about the dangers of nuclear energy as a whole, the dangers of Fukushima and the crippled nuclear reactors for the people living there, and also the need to phase out of nuclear energy on a global scale in Japan, a country that is very well poised to phase out of nuclear energy and fossil fuels, in fact, a country that has thermal energy sources, a country that has a lot of sun, a lot of water, a lot of wind energy capacity, and no natural resources in terms of uranium, coal, or gas, or oil. So no country perhaps in the world is better suited for 100% renewable energy production than Japan. And this is a case that we'll be making in the run-up to the Olympic Games and during the Olympic Games with our campaign that another future is possible. A nuclear phase-out is not just possible but necessary. And with the calls by the nuclear industry in recent years to see nuclear energy as an alternative to fossil fuels and a possibility to combat climate change, we will be showing that this is a very ludicrous claim in light of the actual situation of the nuclear industry, in light of the capabilities of nuclear energy to actually combat climate change, which is non-existent, and also in light of the close connections between the fossil industries and the nuclear industries. So all of these will be topics in the coming months, and we hope to conclude our campaign with the end of the Olympic Games in August of 2020. One last question. You said that there was going to be a demonstration in February regarding the Olympic Committee and to draw attention. Where is that going to be and how can people join you? It will take place most likely on February 26 in Lausanne in front of the headquarters of the International Olympic Committee. And there will be information on our website. There's going to be information on the campaign website, www.radioactive-olympics.org. And uh, we will be telling people where they can go and uh, how they can join us and, and help the protests. In addition to signing the petition, is there other work that we can be doing to support what you are doing heading into the Olympics? Well, definitely. On our website, you will find a lot of information material in German, in English, and in Japanese. This information material can be used and can be distributed through networks on a local or a national level. There's some letters that we pre-wrote that can be adapted and sent to national Olympic committees, asking them about the situation in Fukushima and addressing the issues that I just outlined. We are still looking for supporters that uh, want to come to the demonstration on February 26th. We're looking for supporters which want to spread this information in the course of the Olympic Games on a national or local level. Um, so we're basically looking for multipliers, for people who want to join our campaign, who want to educate their peers and their, their colleagues about the situation in Fukushima. And all of these possibilities uh, for helping our campaign and for joining our activities can be found on our website. Dr. Alex Rosen, thank you so much for the work you and IPPNW are doing. And, of course, Nuclear Hot Seat is here to assist you in any way we can in getting the word out from this program to whatever other information we can share in the future. So please stay in touch, keep us informed, and we will do our best to keep people around the world informed as to what is going on. Great. Thank you very much.
And thank you for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Dr. Alex Rosen, a German pediatrician who serves as the chair of International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War in Germany. We will link to their website, IPPNW.org, on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com. And if you wish to become involved with IPPNW, you do not have to be a physician, just a concerned citizen. They have groups for students, medical students, and tens of thousands of activists and their supporters. In the United States, their chapters go under the name Physicians for Social Responsibility and can be found at PSR.org. Know that Nuclear Hot Seat is dedicated to providing a counter-narrative to the Olympics propaganda, one that hits the nuclear and radioactive issues that mainstream media will most likely not even touch upon. So stay tuned each week as we'll endeavor to keep you up to date on the latest manipulations, issues, and pushbacks by activists from around the world. Speaking of activists, time for activist shout-outs. First, an acknowledgement that the HBO miniseries Chernobyl won Golden Globe Awards for Best Limited Series and Stellan Skarsgård won for Best Supporting Actor in a Television Series. This is significant because Chernobyl turned out to be the most watched television series ever on the face of the planet and raised new concerns and awarenesses about what can happen when a nuclear reactor goes off the rails. Here in the Los Angeles area, the push to get a complete cleanup of the Santa Susana Field Lab, as promised by NASA, has just received a boost. Linda Parks, who is a Ventura County supervisor, introduced and then helped to get passed the Ventura County Board of Supervisors' unanimous decision to send a letter to NASA urging them to honor their cleanup agreements at the Santa Susana Field Lab. This is the former Rocketdyne site that covered up a nuclear meltdown that happened in 1959, covered it up for 20 years, and had, in addition, burn pits and other radioactive areas around the site. NASA pledged to complete the cleanup by 2017, and they haven't even started it. So official pressure from government bodies always helps. And Vina Colley, of Portsmouth Piketon Residents for Environmental Safety and Security, otherwise known as PRESS, and also the founder of National Nuclear Workers for Justice, is asking for signatures on a public letter going to Ohio representatives, senators, and the government. The subject is, please tell the Department of Energy that radioactive bulldozing must stop. you think that would be a given, wouldn't you? This is the ongoing story of the Zons County middle school where radioactive contamination was found and now the school has been permanently closed. It is within six miles of the Portsmouth gaseous diffusion plant. The letter reads in part, although the contamination came from the Portsmouth plant, the Department of Energy has repeatedly refused to cease operations there. Dirty bulldozing and open-air demolition operations are now underway. The letter goes on to note that in 27, the DOE found trace amounts of highly radioactive Neptunium-237 in air monitors at the school grounds, and also admits that they found toxic radioactive americium there in 2018, but did not acknowledge it or let the public know. Both of these substances are linked to bone cancers. 
you can add your name or your group's name by sending an email with that information and that permission to V as in Victor Colley, C-O-L-L-E-Y. That's V-C-O-L-L-E-Y at earthlink.net. We'll try and post a copy of that letter up on our website as well under nuclearhotseat.com. This episode, number 446. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, January 7, 2020. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICAM, IPPNW, which is the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War, and their American group, Physicians for Social Responsibility, fox43.com, sciencedirect.com, businessinsider.com, krwg.org, ecowatch.com, gizmodo.com, nippon.com, asahi.com, gineersnow.com, getreading.co.uk, that might be reading, I'm not certain, phys.org, 112.international, thebulletin.org, theguardian.com, and outreach email and Facebook messages from activists around the world, you know who you are. A reminder that Nuclear Hot Seat is now available on all your favorite podcast platforms. So, what are you waiting for? Subscribe and get the show every week. You can also do so by going to our website, nuclearhotseat.com, and there is a yellow opt-in box where if you put in your first name and your email address, we'll send you an email with the link every week. It's an easy way to get the show, and I promise we don't bug you with a ton of email. Now, you just heard me thank activists and people who write to me from around the world, and that could be you. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, let's face it, you're on the front lines of your own nuclear stories, and I can't be everywhere, so I need you to tell me. So if you've got that information, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And remember, if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, take a moment, go to our website, nuclearhotseat.com, and we have all kinds of information there on ways that you can support us, and we will be really grateful for that support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2020, Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Heart History Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that nuclear war does not begin with the weapons going off. It ends with the weapons going off. That's it. You've all had your nuclear wake-up call, though the nightmare may be continuing. So please, whatever you do, Do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.